0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. As I said, we're going to wrap up our rooted series this morning. We've been looking at the, the, the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians 5. If you wanted to turn there, go ahead. Maybe you've been a really good boy or a really good girl this week, and you've memorized Galatians 5, and 23. Let me see. Any of you? Nobody. Okay. Um, I'm telling you. That's a verse you should have memorized. That's a really good one to have memorized. In this series, we have been comparing a healthy fruit tree. Basically, really, we've been looking at the apple tree to our lives as followers of Jesus. And the question that we have been coming back to again and again is this question. What would my life begin to look like if I really was connected to and rooted in Jesus? What would it look like? A lot of us claim to be Christians. And a lot of us, you know, claim to love God, but what would my life begin to look like if it really was like a vine connected to a branch or a tree that has roots that are tapped into something really good? If Jesus was flowing through me, what would come out of me? What would happen in my life? And the answer every week has been the same. The answer is something would change. If you are deeply rooted in Jesus, there is no way you're going to stay deeply rooted in Jesus And your life not begin to change in some way. Something will be different than before it was rooted in Jesus. Jesus said, you will recognize a tree by its fruit. That is true. If you walked up to an apple tree, you'd say, well, the red thing's hanging off of it. I'm going to snap one off and take a bite. Boy, that tastes like a a, 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 delicious red apple. And so So you'd back up and say, that's an apple tree. You recognize a tree by its fruit. There will be recognizable fruit. There will be change. There will be different actions, different behaviors. People will walk up to you and say, you know what? Since you've been hanging out with Jesus, I notice a change in you. I can tell. Something's going on with you. I can see a difference. And ideally, the more rooted in Jesus we can become, the more people will begin to use words to describe us that are the same kind of words that they might use to describe Jesus. So now we come to this week, And we come to the last of these nine words to describe the fruit of the Spirit of Christ living inside of those of us who are Christ followers. And here's a thought for me as we get ready to get into this one today. Of all the things that we've looked at, this one is probably the most important, and here's why I would say that. If you were to put into practice the stuff that we are going to talk about today, your life is going to be different. There's just no question. Paul is using the tree as a metaphor, and he's asking What would happen if, like a tree, the Spirit of Christ started living itself out through me? So he gives us this verse, this verse that you were supposed to have memorized in this series, and you have not done it. I will point that out again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now you look at that list, and you start thinking about Jesus, and you would say, Jesus was that one and jesus was that one and you know when i look at that list jesus was kind of all those things but sometimes i look at those words and you know i would like to think that if jesus is living inside of me that all of those things would come out of me maybe you look at him and you go man none of those things are coming out of me today we talk about self-control which i'm just going to tell you i don't know about you but for me this is the toughest one for me okay to start with i'm going to give you the definition of this word from the greek and I'm, i just let me say this the Greek language nails this word. I mean, the English language is, is pretty cool sometimes, but the Greek language was so precise. And sometimes the word pictures that the Greek language would paint for a word, it's just really, it's, it's, it's amazing. And sometimes, to, to be really honest with you, when we translate those words out of Greek into English, they lose a little something sometimes. So there are certain times when it's just really important to kind of go back and look at the word in Greek and this particular word is the word egratia, egratia. So depending on how you use the word, it can mean different things. It can mean temperate, as in moderation, you know, not too much. We're using the word today as as the word self-controlled, or it can mean, are you ready for this one? Continent. (laughs) Wait for it, we'll get there in just a minute. When I first heard this, I thought, well, I think I know what this means, and then someone might say, well, let me tell you what the opposite of it is, okay? And then you go, oh, okay, I got it. So let's just look at the opposites, okay, of these words, and let's have a little fun. The opposite of temperate is like intoxicated, or you're addicted, or you, you, know, you have this excessive personality. It's just you know, everything is, is too much. And the next one is so obvious that once you say it out loud, you kind of go, oh, man, I never really thought thought about it like that before. But the opposite of self-control is to be controlled or enslaved by something or someone else, right? That's the opposite of being self-controlled, is that someone else controls me. And you think about it, if I'm not self-controlled, then I am somebody else controlled or something else controlled. And when you start looking at that, another word for that is the word slavery, And that's when someone else says, you know, I'm going to tell you how to run your life. I'm going to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, when you can do it. And nobody wants to have that associated with them. (laughs) And then we come to the opposite of continent, which is the word incontinent. Just going to let that settle. In case you don't know what incontinent means, it's the inability to control your bladder or your bowels. Okay? Now... Let's be thankful that we didn't write the Bible, and we weren't translating out of Greek into Hebrew, because if we had, our verse might have sounded like this. Okay, you ready? Without God's Spirit leading me, my life is a total crap show consisting of one stinky mess after another, (laughs) right? I mean... Now, we wouldn't want to translate Scripture that way. We certainly wouldn't want to read Scripture that way. But that might be a very apt description of what goes on in our life sometimes because that's really true. Without God's Spirit leading us, that's really what happens, isn't it? You look around, and there's just all these places where you go, man, that stinks, and that stinks, and oh, don't look over there, and man, God, I need you to help me to control my life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's my life apart from God. When I'm not rooted in Jesus, my my life is just one stinky mess after another. So last week, we looked at five categories of life, and what we talked about last week was let's just look at it differently, okay? What if we we just kind of took a step back and we we thought about it and we looked at it a little bit differently? Maybe God wants to do something different in your life that you never really thought about or you never even considered before, but God's got a plan about it. So today, I want to take the words that we looked at, we we just looked at, like temperate and self-controlled and continent, and I want to lay those next to the five areas of your life that we considered last week and see how we're doing. And I don't know if you remember, but we talked about sexuality, we talked about relationships, we talked about health, we talked about mental health, and we talked about finances. And, And remember, what we're chasing today is, how has my life being rooted in Jesus changed the way I live my life. How has it changed? In other words, what recognizable fruit do I see? How has the Holy Spirit living in and working itself up and out through me, living basically through me? We actually sing a song called Christ Living Me. That's really what the concept is, is Jesus just lives through us. What difference does it make? To put it bluntly, what difference does it make? Because here's something that I'll tell you, your friends are asking that question. The people that you go to work with, the people that you spend all day with, they know you go to church. They know you call yourself a Christian. They're asking that question of you as they think about themselves. See, here's the mistake we make. We think that people that we work with, that we think, oh, they would never go to church. They don't ever think about God. They don't ever think about Jesus. They do. They don't want you to know that. But they do. And they watch you. And they, they have thoughts sometimes. They think to themselves, you know, I, I wonder if I should go to church. I wonder if I should maybe get closer to God. I wonder what that would look like for me. Now, they're not going to just walk up to you and say, hey, would you tell me about Jesus? They're not going to do that. But they're thinking it, and they're watching you. And one of the questions they're asking is, what difference does it make? I mean, I'm looking at Joe over here, and, you know, I'm watching Joe, and is there a difference? And, you know, he says he goes to church, and he, you know, he claims to love Jesus, but. If I watch, is there any change at all? Um, What difference does it make? Is is Jesus making a difference in my life? And be careful, if the answer comes back, he's making no difference, whoo, that's not a good answer. There should be a difference between what your life looked like before you started following Jesus and what your life looks like after you start following Jesus. So in these five areas of my life, what might be recognizably different? Now, some of you have not been Christians all that long okay so um you get a pass today it's it's um if you're a a a new christian or a baby christian you know this is going to be a great educational time for you but you may not have been a christian long enough to be able to look back and say well there's the recognizable fruit but for those of us that have been christians for a while now at least a season we need to ask this question you need to be able to point to some areas in your life and go that's different that's changed Jesus is absolutely making a difference in this area of my life. And boy, before Jesus, that was a mess. And now after Jesus, that looks a lot better. Um, And if it hasn't changed, you need to give that some attention too. So here are the five areas of life that we talked about. And we looked at, the first one we looked at last week was sexuality. In other words, how do you determine your worth as a man or a woman? And what gives you value? How do you express yourself? Um, What we get bombarded by images? I mean, I I forget what the number the number is increasing every day Of the number of sexual images your brain has to process every day through print media through You know online stuff through television. It's just your brain is bombarded by sexual imagery uh, All day long And so here's the question. Do you have self-control in this area of your life? now that you're rooted in jesus Are you self-controlled in this area? Self-controlled. I choose what Jesus says is right and true and good for me in this area of my life. In other words, you would say nobody makes choices for me in that part of my life. I choose. I choose what happens in those areas. I am self-controlled. I am in charge of me, no one else. And I choose to line that part of my life up with Jesus. Now, growth takes time, and you may not do it perfectly all the time. But, but you would be able to say, I'm doing the best I can to line that part of my life up with Jesus. That's one way to approach it. The other way to approach it is to say this, I'm a victim. I'm addicted. I don't have any boundaries. And you fall or fail, and then you say, I'm never going to do that again. And you don't until you have another opportunity, you know, until you're alone or until you're on a date with somebody. You're out of control, and you're enslaved by someone or something else. Someone else tells you if you're a good man or if you're a good woman or not, and that's where you take your cues. Your whole value as a man rests with some other people because maybe you're a slave because you're not in control of that area. Other people, other things, maybe they own you. Are you self-controlled when it comes to sexuality? How about this area of life, relationships? Pick out the two or three most important relationships in your life. We can all wrestle with arrogance and conceitedness. Here's the question. How has conceitedness or competition or jealousy impacted the most important relationships in your life? You would say, you know, I I, used to impact it like this, but now that I'm rooted in Jesus, it is different. So are you self-controlled when it comes to the relationships in your life? Would you be able to say, I'm rooted in Jesus, he is living inside of me, the most important person in my life is my wife or my husband, my boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, my kids or my parents, whatever it is, I'm self-controlled in that area. I'm choosing to align what Jesus says is true and right and good, and I'm lining myself up with that stuff, and I'm self-controlled in those areas. Does that describe you, or are you an addicted victim? Are you a person of excessiveness and are you enslaved by something or someone else and you can't control it some of us we don't have friends we have slaves and they can become my friend as long as they do what i tell them to do and the minute they don't i get rid of them because i there i want them to do what i want them to do or you don't really have any friends because you'll compromise anything to be around certain people And you say, you know, I just like being around them, and I just kind of become a different person when I'm around them, and I don't really have a whole lot of self-control. That's not really who we are, but they kind of own us. We're not really self-controlled when we're around that person. Other people can have a tendency sometimes to own us. How about this one? How about health? And I'm talking about your, your physical health here. You know, the addictions, the habits... The decisions that you make relative to your health, changes. What do you need to do more of? What do you need to do less of? In terms of what goes on with your body, do you have self-control? You say, Brett, what do you mean? Well, now that you're rooted in Jesus and he's flowing inside of you, what comes out? I choose. I choose to do things with my body or not to do things with my body I choose them because I'm self-controlled and I want to line my body and myself up with that part of Jesus that is true and good and right. And when people see my body and they see my health, I want them to see someone who follows Jesus. I want Jesus to have some impact on the way my health goes. Does that describe your life? Or are you an addicted victim? And you would say things like, I can't help it. It's not my fault. It's, you know, it's excessive. I do way too much of that and it's out of control, but I don't know what to do about it. I'm enslaved by something or someone else. I can't control it. I need to eat less, or I need to eat more, or I need to eat right, or maybe I need to go to the gym more, or maybe you need to go to the gym less. Do you have self-control in that part of your life? Just pay attention to it. You know, as it comes up and as you think about it, just kind of step off and Kind of like we did last week, God, is there something more to that? Is there something that you want me to consider that I haven't maybe considered? Or is there some reason that you want me to do this differently than the way I'm doing it? God, what are you trying to say to me? Here's the next one, emotional health or emotional life. Here's what I mean by that. We all have stuff in our past. We look back and we say stuff like, you know, that hurt or that changed, that that left a scar. That formed me into the person I am today. So we all have that, but here's the question. Am I a victim of my past, of what he or she did to me? Am I a victim of that? Whatever it is, or am I self-controlled? Am I going to line up my life with what Jesus says is good and true and right for my life? Am I going to line it up that way? He says that I am more than a conqueror. He says that my past does not have to define my future. He says that in him, I am a new creature. I'm a new creation in Jesus. Am I going to line myself up with that, or am I going to line myself up with what the world says I should be? So let me ask you this. Based on what happened to you in the past and the tape that plays over in your head every day, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, let me just ask you, do you have self-control in that area of your life, I'm rooted in Jesus. He lives inside of me. And now I choose to believe what He says about me, not what some person did to me, not what that person said about me. That's not true. He hit me. He left me. She abused me. Whatever it is, and you're walking around with this tape that runs in your head that says, I'm not worth staying for. I don't have any value. I get up every day and I have to prove that I am enough for somebody? Listen, that stuff is a lie. Or do you say, I am self-controlled and I choose to align my life with what Jesus says is true and right and good about me? Is that you? Or are you an addicted victim and you just can't help it? And you would say stuff like, I don't know what happened to me. It's not my fault. I will always be a victim of what happened to me. I'm excessive. Uh, There's no monitor. Whatever I'm feeling just kind of comes out, and woe to the person that gets in the way of me whenever this stuff starts coming out of me. They better watch out. I am enslaved by something or someone else, and I can't control it. Some of us, somebody or something else owns us. We're slaves to it. You say, Brett, what do you mean? They did something to us, and we think about it every single day. It plays as a tape in our head all through the day, and they may have been dead 10 years, and they still own us by the things that they said to us. Are you self-controlled? Are you lining yourself up with what Jesus says is true and right and good about you? Or do you listen to that voice? Do you listen to the voice of Jesus that says, you are infinitely worth more than anything else in the world to me? I would die for you. I did die for you. Or do you hear a voice that says, you're not good enough? You don't measure up. You're not worth anything. Jesus says you're worth a lot. The last one was, we looked at this briefly too last week, and I I, I joked that maybe you wanted me to just rush past this one. The financial world. If you look at your financial life and all the priorities and the choices you make and the balance, is there balance in your financial world or is it just a mess with, with the way we spend money, with the debt that we carry, with the, you know, the, the things that we, we tend to do with our money? So as you look at your financial world, do you have self-control? You would say, before I was rooted in Jesus and he was living inside of me, this is how I spent my money. But now that he's inside of me, now that I'm rooted in him, things have begun to change in that area of my life. I'm not quite the same. You can point to some growth. You can, you know, because I used to do this, but now I do this. Are you self-controlled when it comes to your money or are you a victim? You would say, I'm just addicted. My money situation is a mess. I'm all over the place. I am enslaved by something or someone else. You say, Brett, what do you mean enslaved? I mean Bank of America, Chase, Visa, MasterCard, Discover Card. Now, if you were honest, as I went through that list of five things, there's one that probably brought up more energy in you than others, right? As I went through the list of the five things, there's one where you go, oh man, I hope he doesn't talk about that one too long, because I'm really not good at that one right? As you look at that list and as I'm going over it, you hear them and you think, oh, I really need to give that some attention. Yep, he just nailed me. I have no control in that area of life at all. I have no self-control. But there was probably one where you said, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. Can we not talk about that? And I don't know which one it was for you, but for many of you, it was probably the money one. See, Here's what just happened, is I went through that list of five things, I'm cruising along, and when I ask you about sexuality, or relationships, or health, or emotional health, and I ask you, are you getting better in that area as you follow Jesus, or are you not getting better? Your answer is probably going to be somewhat subjective. Like, how do you know if you're getting better in relationships? How do you know if you're getting better in your emotional health, or your, your physical health? You can kind of gauge that one a little bit. Like, in, in your sexuality, how do you know if, you, if it's really better? Because we say things like, well, it kind of feels like, or, you know, I just, I think so, or, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm doing better. And, and who could argue? I mean, you know you better than anybody else knows you. You know whether or not you're growing in those areas. But those areas can be, those first four areas can be somewhat subjective. Like, when we talk about those and and I say, you know, how are you doing in your your emotional health area? Well, I think I'm, you know, I kind of think I'm doing okay. See, it's really subjective. Probably no one is going to argue with you. If you said, you know, in my heart or in my mind or, you know, I just really believe. And that's all good in those first four areas of your life. But when it comes to our finances, that is the one of the five of those that we looked at where it is not subjective. It's just not It's it's very objective. And I say, let's talk about your money. And you say, "Mm, let's not talk about my money. You know, let's don't say we did. Let's let's do that. And and somebody right now is sitting out there thinking, man, this guy is smooth. We're talking about these five areas. And he just turned this into a money talk. No, I did not. I'm turning this into a faith talk. Big difference. Okay, I'm going to turn this into a faith talk. I'm going to make you a commitment right now. I'm not going to talk about giving because that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is faith. This is about faith. And do you know what will tell on your faith and on your spirituality and on your depth quicker than anything else in your world? How you handle finances. How you deal with your money. Jesus made this very, very clear. Money is his biggest competition for your faith and mine. He made it clear. Here's what I mean. You know that someday something's going to happen to you or your family and you're trying to get ready for it. And whatever you're focused on and getting ready for that event, that is what you're putting your faith in. And Jesus' biggest competition for who and what is going to take care of you isn't Satan. It's money. That's just true. Jesus' biggest competition for what runs your life and rules your heart and runs your week is not the devil. (laughs) We might think it is, but it's really not. It's usually money. I'm pretty sure that Jesus is not wringing his hands worried about how you're going to spend your day today, all right? Maybe he does, but I doubt it. I doubt Jesus is up there saying, oh, she's doing so good. She went to church this morning, and oh, now she's going to go worship Satan this afternoon. I doubt he's having that conversation. I don't think that's going to happen for most of us. This is the tension we're in. Do I trust Jesus with my money or not? See, Jesus taught about money in one form or another more than he taught about anything else. I heard a statistic. I don't know if I can really believe this or not. I've never counted it myself, but I'm told that if you were to look up in your Bible the the red letters, the letters that Jesus said, If you were to count those and you were to do a study, what you would find is one in six words of Jesus directly referenced or had something to do with money. Jesus talked a lot about money because he knows that people are going to spend their whole lives trying to get enough money. And by the way, do you know how much money is enough money? Do you know how much? Here's the answer. More than you have. Right? That's the answer. If I were to ask you, how much money do you need to really feel like you, you're okay? How much Do you have enough? No. How much do you need? Just a little bit more. Isn't that true for all of us? I mean, you know, nobody's saying, oh, I'm, plenty, I'm good, you know, I got, I got all I need. No, let me give you an extra $1,000. No, don't need it, you know. We think that if we have a little bit more, then we'll have enough. And then if something happens, that money can take care of us. And that is not true, and Jesus knows that. But you won't know that until you get to a point in your life where that gets borne out in your life. Money didn't keep your divorce away. Money didn't keep your kids from going over the edge. Money didn't keep you from getting depressed or getting sick. Money didn't keep any of that stuff from happening. Jesus knows that money can't take care of you, but you won't know that until you run into a wall where you realize, man, I've got money, but it's not fixing this problem. Money doesn't fix it. You won't know that until you get to the place where you go, hey, I got some money, and they go, money's not the issue here. Oh, you know, now what do I do? See, here's what I think, here's where I think a lot of us are. I think you would say being rooted in Jesus, having Jesus flow through me, that is really important, especially when it comes to my sexuality or it comes to relationships or my emotional issues or my health. You know, certainly, you know, Jesus probably should have some effect And we probably would say that Jesus should have some effect on our money. But the truth is, none of us really want to look at how we handle money in the light of Jesus. I mean, I think most of us are probably at a place where we'd go, I don't want to do that. Especially if it's going to be a conversation about self-control. But here's the question. Does the way I earn and choose to spend my money line up with a life that claims to belong to Jesus Christ? Does the way I earn and choose to spend my money line up with a life that claims to belong to Jesus Christ? What difference has Jesus made in your life when it comes to the way you handle your finances? And here's why we don't want to answer that question, because to answer that question, you can't start with a sentence that says, well, in my heart, or, you know, I just kind of feel like, or, you know, I'm just being led to, nope, it's pretty objective. Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, you don't even have to believe in Jesus for that statement to be true. We all know that statement's true. If you were to translate this from Greek, do you know what you would get if you translated this passage from from Greek into English? Here's what you would get. For where your money is, there is the thing that owns your heart. For where your money is, there is the thing that owns your heart. Jesus says your money and your heart will always be in the same place. That is true. He keeps going, and he gives us some more truth. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then to end it up, this is what he says. You cannot serve both God and Satan. Oh wait, that's not what he said. That's, not, that's what you would expect him to say. You would expect God to, to, to draw a, a distinction between serving him and serving the devil. But that's not what he draws the distinction between. He draws it between God and money. He knows us. He knows that the tension here is, I'm trying to follow God, and I need money, and I'm going to serve one more than I serve the other. Which one am I going to choose? What Jesus is saying is, listen, money is the number one revealer of what controls your heart and shows what you love whom you serve and whom you call master and listen the way we answer that question is not subjective it is very very objective all you got to do is look at your bank statement all you got to do is look at your checkbook it will be obvious what you love and what holds the highest priority in your life here's a question why do we get so defensive and angry when this subject comes up in church? Some of you are mad at me right now because I'm talking about money. You know, you brought a friend, and your friend's like, He's not going to talk about money, is he? And you, get, you said, He never talks about money. And you walked in today, and daggone it, he's talking about money. Shut up, Brett. Shut up, Brett. Shut up, Brett. Some of you are walking in here and you're mad at me because I'm talking about money and you're thinking, I should have stayed in bed this morning and waited till next week to come. No, you shouldn't have. You need to hear this, especially when you consider this. What did you spend, most of you in the room this morning, what did you spend most of your time doing this week? You spent time trading time for money. And that's not a bad thing, but you spent a lot of hours trying to get money Want me to really meddle in your business? And you, you think to yourself, like you haven't already meddled in my business? Okay, that's fair. Isn't it true that the thing that causes the most tension in your household is money? That's what you fight with your wife or your, your husband about? That's what you argue with your kids about? money? You know what fight you're not having? Here's the fight you're not having. Look at all this big pile of money we got. What are we gonna do with all this money? What ministries are we going to give all this money to? You're not having that fight. I want to give it to Samaritan's Purse. No, I want to give it to Cross Lane. That's not you. If it is you, please meet me in the lobby. I would love to have a conversation with you about the big pile of money you've got. See, it messes with our marriages. It messes with our relationships with our kids. You can't sleep at night. You lay awake worrying about, do I have enough money? I'm going to ask this, and then I'll shut up. And you think, I hope you do. That high voice got me. What is different about the way you handle money today, now that you are rooted in Jesus, than would have been different before you got serious about Jesus and got rooted in him? What's changed? some of you haven't been christians all that long and you're learning how to let jesus be lord of your money but some of us have been christians for a while a season you know i mean long enough that it should be making a difference how is the spirit changing we've been using the word sanctifying that's a big church word if you're new to us just think changing how is the spirit changing the way what is the recognizable fruit How is the Spirit changing the way that you choose to spend your money? It should be making a difference. I want to say it one more time before I close. This is not a money talk. This is a faith talk. We all talk a good game when it talks about spiritual growth and wanting to get better, and we want to get deeper and more spiritual. Listen, the number one way to measure your spiritual growth is to examine your attitude toward money. Straight up. It will tell on you quicker than anything else. You'll notice I, I, I haven't said a word today about giving because this isn't about giving. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to give more money. That's not, listen, you're already good givers, okay? This is a good giving church. I really don't have to talk that much about money. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get your mind focused on, okay, I want to be a deep spiritual person. Does my money and the way I handle my money, does that reflect a deep spiritual person? Does that reflect a person who's in love with Jesus? I want it to, does it? And when the Holy Spirit of God is active and at work in your life, it is gonna show up in all the areas that we've talked about, especially in the area of your finances. So let's leave the money question behind. Okay, let's just leave it all behind. I'm gonna end this series the way I started this series with this question. How would my life be different? What would it look like if it were truly rooted in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit was flowing out of it, or if the fruit of the Spirit was flowing out of me, what would my life look like? Now let me just close the series by saying this. If you've been coming here, or maybe today, you could be here, and this could be your first Sunday, and you, you would say, I am not a Christian, I'm not a Jesus follower, and I would ask you why, and you say, well, I've just really never been pressed or I've never had the opportunity or nobody's ever really helped me with it or whatever, let me help you with it this morning. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, and, and when you hear that kind of terminology, you think things in your head like, oh, to-do list, I'm going to have to learn a secret language, I'm going to have to carry my Bible with me everywhere I go, I've got to dress different now, I'm not talking about any of that stuff, okay, here's what I'm talking about. If you've ever apologized to somebody, you've admitted you're not perfect. And if you're not perfect, you need to be forgiven. And that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. What I'm talking about is being forgiven. What I'm talking about is having a relationship with Christ that is not based on how well you perform, but it's based on what he's done for you, and what he's done for you is forgive you. See, for those of us who are Christians, we wake up every single day of our life, get this, forgiven. And when I realize that I've been forgiven, that changes the way I live my life. And now I start to live my life as somebody who's deeply grateful for what Christ has done for them. And when you live your life from a place of deep gratitude, everything changes. So I'm not asking you to consider coming and accepting Christ and and learning the list of do's and don'ts and, you know, memorizing Scripture and all that. That's all great. That's good stuff. But I'm talking about coming to Jesus and letting Jesus truly change your life. When you look at your life and you go, that needs to change, that needs to change, but I can't do that on my own. Listen, Jesus wants to help you change those areas of your life. We say it all the time around here. Jesus loves you and accepts you exactly the way you are, but he is not going to leave you where he finds you. He wants to grow you. He wants to take you someplace different. You're extended that invitation this morning. I hope you'll consider it. Let's pray together and we will be dismissed. Father, I I pray for the people in this room as we've gone through this series and as we've considered these nine fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we want those things to be said of us. We want people to see joy in us and kindness, faithfulness, self-control. That's stuff we want people to see. But Lord, we can't manufacture that stuff. We can't can't just kind of focus in on something and produce it by ourselves. It comes when we are deeply rooted in you and when you grow up in us and, and you start to come out of us. Father, that's my prayer for the people in this room this morning, that we would exhibit and we would demonstrate to the world around us the fruit of the Spirit because they see Jesus in us. Father, for the person who's here that's never given their life to Christ, I pray that they would take one step closer to you this morning. I pray that they would see what this is really about and what it's not about. And Father, they know they need to change. They know they need to give their life to you. They know they need to be forgiven. I pray that you would do a work in them and speak to them and draw them to you. Father, we pray all these things in the glorious, matchless name of Jesus.